back to the Wrong Advice Podcast. I'm your host, John Picciuto, and I'm very excited to have my guest, Devin Klein, on with us today. Devin, how you doing, my friend? What's up, John, man? Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you coming on. Can you give a quick introduction to the listeners to who you are? Yeah, so my name's Devin Klein, and I was born and raised in uh, Battle Creek, Michigan. So shout out uh, the Midwest region. And I was, uh, you know, I grew up in poverty. I grew up, you know, kind of in the gutter, I would say. And, you know, on, uh, when you're on welfare and your, your parents are, you know, fighting each other and your life is chaotic and you don't really know it at the time, you know, you're, it's kind of normal. It's everyday mm-hmm. life. It's how you go about your day. And it wasn't until, you know, I became, I would say a young man before you could actually look back in retrospect and say, okay, what the hell just happened there? Right. And we can, we can dive in to anything that you want. I'm a, I'm a wide open book. I'm a big proponent of sharing your story. I think everybody's got a, a story to share. It feels uncomfortable sharing it a lot of times because we don't think that we're, you know, necessarily individually worthy of other people hearing that story. But I mean, listen, it burn bootcamp, the business that my wife and I founded uh, back in 2012, we're, we're thriving right now in 2023. And you know, the, our, our business is made on the back of uh, people sharing their stories of how much not only, uh, burn bootcamp has really impacted their life, but you know how that spills over and, and how that, you know, they just can really close the full circle loop on their story and then share that with the world, I think is a, a really, really powerful thing. So, yeah, I'm an entrepreneur, uh, born and raised entrepreneur when you're, it's either you, you build a company out of desperation, um, or ambition. I think one of the two things, and for me, combination of the two <laughs> combination of the two, if you're in desperation mode, uh, I don't think, you know, probably a lot of blind confidence there, you know, in that, oh, yeah. in that mode. like not kind of too ignorant in a way. I'm not trying to put myself down, but too stupid in a way, too young, too inexperienced in a way to really know how hard it is to build something great. And, uh, and so after I got done playing minor league baseball, um, you know, we, we inve- uh, embarked on that venture, but I, I got the seed planted when I realized uh, that my food stamps at school wouldn't pay for the chocolate milk. They would only pay for the white milk. And I remember distinctly, we all have these times that are like insignificant to other people, but they're distinct times where you have this deep emotion in it and almost embosses in your brain, like a stamp in, in time. And I remember kids making fun of me at the table because I couldn't get the chocolate milk when they had it. And you know, that was my insignificant motivation at the time. And so I went out and started a snow removal business I didn't even know what the word entrepreneur was, but I think out of desperation, uh, I didn't want to be made fun of anymore. And so I think that's really what catapulted me to realize that I had a little natural talent when it comes to allocating assets, building a business uh, and and growing something people care about. Yeah, I mean, a lot to unpack there. Um, you mentioned growing up in poverty, obviously, and the you know the sticking point of the chocolate milk story, which I think is just wild. The things I remember from childhood. It's crazy. Um, Talk to me about like the challenges growing up in a lower income family um, and sort of how some of those challenges inevitably led you to the entrepreneurial spirit that you've inhibited over, you know, exhibited over the last, you know, 20, 30 years. Yeah, that's a definitely a, a great question and one I've been thinking about a lot. You know, we all go back and we use, you know, I, I believe at least that we use our memory to go back and to reconcile the past, right? Almost like a, a tape that you play back say, Hey, what did I, what, what actually went on here? And what, and how did this, you know, become a part of my personality? And that's a really hard question to answer for anybody because at the core of that answer is 
just extreme self-awareness to say, you know, what happened to me in the past and how did that make up my personality now? So I can do my best to guess. I think there's, it's a lifelong journey of really unpacking that story. And, you know, during those formidable years when you're zero to seven years old, I mean, all the science points to the fact that these are the years where your mind is molded. And those years for me, I was with my mother. Um, they call it parental abduction, but it, I thought it was always like kidnapping. She just basically took me from Michigan uh, without my dad's consent. And we went and we traveled to Mississippi, to Arizona, to California, back to Arizona, to Issaquah, Washington, back to California. And all this, you know, before I, like, it was really my elementary years. And I think a lot of my extroverted personality came out during those times because, you know, my mom was a night shift waitress. Uh, you know, I don't exactly know why we moved everywhere. I just know that she was kind of a gypsy soul, right? Like she just didn't want to be in a place for too long, you know, and when you're addicted to substances and it controls your life, well, that you don't really have much. She didn't really have much where we were. She had used all those resources, you know, on fueling that addiction. And so when we go out and, and adventure the country, essentially out of the back of her car, you know, 10 or 12, I'm not sure exactly the count, different apartments and rental houses, you start to, you start to go, you'll go one way or the other. You'll become an extremely introverted person and think, why me? Nobody wants to talk to me. And, you know, therefore it must be my fault. Or, you know, and I think this happens naturally. I think you have a little natural extroversion or introversion, introversion. And for me, it just was this opportunity that I needed to make friends. Like I, I had no friends and you go from school to school to school, you're switching it every three months. It's very hard, you know, to make friends. I can yeah. really remember be always being the outsider and always having to like prove myself. And I think a lot of that really, um, how do you say formed my, my personality today? Uh, the fact that I want everyone to like me. And so that it's, that's, I struggle, like I'm very empathetic. So I struggle with hard conversations. I've really had to work hard on that. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think that has something to do with it, but you know, that's just yeah. one layer to probably many layers. And then you fast forward and, you know, by the time I'll make a long story short, but by, by the time I was 18 years old, we had 50 plus domestic violence charges, uh, excuse me, criminal charges in our house. And most of those were domestic violence, child abuse, um, you know, breaking Jeez. and entering just a, a wide range of different things. It was just chaos. And, but listen, I'm not saying any of these words because I, um, I actually would not change it for anything. I think most people that go through something, the way that I've gone through it won't change it for anything unless they're using it as an excuse to not go out and, you know, use that pain to create pleasure in their own life. But lots. Yeah, actually, I like we that could a lot, talk actually. For hours about all the little, about all the little things that I think impacted my personality. But I think that one is probably the biggest yeah. is that I'm willing to talk to anyone about anything, anywhere. I can make anybody feel good about being in my presence. There's never an awkward moment. And yeah, I think those formidable years uh, ultimately were my advantage. I Not love that. I mean, like you say, you could take those trials and tribulations and go one of two ways, right? You can use it as the motivation that you need to become the person that you want to be, or you could use it as an excuse and a crutch to impact the entirety of your life. And uh, it's remarkable, uh, in my opinion, you know, having had a real picturesque childhood myself, to see people who have in, endured, you know, the type of childhood that you have and to come out the other side of it stronger, better, you know, <laughs> wholly formed as a human being. It's, it's a, it's a true testament to who you are as a person. Um, I'm curious what the process of like uh, childhood sports played because you mentioned minor league baseball. 
obviously you had some skills uh, and some talent in, in baseball growing up. Was that like uh, an easy sort of opportunity for you to make friends and then, you know, sort of, you know, become, you know, more ingrained in a, in a, in a new city, a new town as you kind of like went through elementary school and high school? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I, I think about this a lot too. So I didn't play a lot of sports up until I moved back to Michigan. So we travel, I, it was the middle of fourth grade, um, right before fifth grade, I moved back. And then that's when I started my, the first sport I played was baseball, took after my dad. Uh, and then I played football and basketball. And so I started playing all these sports at what, how old are we in 10, you know, what, nine, 10 years old, something like yeah. that. Yeah. And so, you know, a lot of kids now, and I think that's a good age to start, right? Like I, you know, it wasn't like, um, I had the, I had things like the skate parks. I would hang out with uh, my mom would hire babysitters who would hang out at places like that. And I'm not saying anything ill about skate parks, but there's usually like that's a place for like upper teens and like yeah. lower twenties and twenty somethings to hang out. Yeah, you not, know? not a nine year old. <laughs> you know, not a nine year old probably like at like eight p.m. on like a Friday night. And so, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I would I would say that sports played the following role. When I started playing it, I realized that I had talent and gave me confidence. It made me realize that confidence was a skill, right? Because the more I got better, the more I practiced, the better I got. And the better I got, the more confident I got in myself. And I think sports 100% is where I get my confidence from. My dad also, like for all of the things that all of our parents did that we all want to blame them for and that we all, you want to throw them under the bus for and all the reasons that, and you also have to make sure that you thank them for the great things that they did as well. And my father had his ailments and he, you know, was addicted to drugs in and out of prison, addicted to alcohol. You know, uh, you know, I watched him, I grew up watching him, you know, multiple women, multiple children, you know, and, and you know, having physically abusive relationships with almost everyone in his life. And, for all of those things, I thank you, right? Like for all of those things that you showed me what not to do, right? You showed me an example and I can't just thank you for not only for what you didn't do, but I also have to thank you for what you did do because nobody is a hundred percent right or a hundred percent wrong. And so the fact that he was like, D like, you're the man, dude, like he, all the time, every day, like, in front of sports games, like all the time, you'd always build me up. And then you put, put the bottle upside down, boom, complete like 180 and like the personality. And then it became all about, I've got to go out and be good at sports in order to get any love or get any admiration or get any respect, you know, even in the four walls of my household. And I think encouragement should be free. I think that's yeah. the moral responsibility as a father to encourage you on the, on the behaviors that are going to turn you into a good man and discourage you on the behaviors that are going to turn you into a bad man, right? Mm -hmm. Or uh, something, uh, somebody that society would see as like not useful or, or, yeah. or not contributing to the world around you. And so, yeah, so confidence to answer your question was the first thing, then teamwork, then leadership, because, and I think they're all correlated, right? So as I started to get more confident, I got put into the light of like the best player. That's a gift. You can either hold that gift or you can, or you can destroy it. You destroy it by, you know, being a bad teammate, by pointing fingers, by pointing blame, not taking responsibility and accountability for yourself. You hold it by doing the opposite, right? And then everybody starts to become that mirror reflection of your of you as a leader. And so I saw that. And that was the one thing in my life I could control, right? I can control my attitude, my effort, my belief around how I showed up on the baseball field. And 
that was my catalyst, you know, in order to kind of get out of the gutter, if you will. At what age do you think that your circumstances became in your own mind something that you need to overcome? Was that something that you were like cognizant of in high school, even at like that 16, 17, 18 year old age? I was cognitive, I was cognizant rather that we weren't wealthy, <laughs> like that we, you know, I had in Michigan, they called them bridge cards. They were food stamps and they changed to bridge cards. We had bridge cards. You know, um, my dad was in and out of jail. So there's like, you know, that gets publicized in a small town. And so he's got this reputation. My name holds the weight of this reputation almost through osmosis, like nothing of nothing, you know, that I did necessarily. It was just where I lived and what and who I was associated. So that part was really tough. You know, the part where you all the (laughs) if you're going to go out and you're going to perform in a football game, you want it to be sunny right and 75 you don't want it to be snowy in (laughs) buffalo in january right because there's a correlation to performance there and so i think for me my my uh my job was to my job was to no matter what my job is to say no matter what the weather is outside right no matter what the current environment is like in my household in the four walls i've got to play the game right and it, it doesn't matter if it's sunny. It doesn't matter if it's a good day or a bad day. It matters that I can control what I can control. I could not control that environment around me on the snowy games, right? If you will, to stay with this metaphor, I had to protect the football, right? And I had to make sure that, um, you know, I was associating things like our lack of reputation, a good reputation, wealth in the community as things that weren't my fault, but things that I could control. And so I went yeah. out and tackled respect with baseball because I would get respect from that. And then I, reta- I tackled poverty with starting to become an entrepreneur, 20 minute snow removal. I would go knock on doors with a clipboard and I'd sign up people 20 minutes for 20 bucks. I'd have my two buddies. We had two neighborhoods that we were on. I'd have two of my buddies come by with shovels, 20 minutes. That snow was in the yard, out of the driveway. We got a little salt finish. You know what I mean? Like a little cherry on top. And then I would collect payments, split it three ways. I'm the salesman going around starting my own franchise when I'm 11, 12, 13 years old because I want the chocolate milk, you know? Yeah. That's a, I mean, that's pretty awesome. Um, I'm curious, like the college experience, the minor league baseball experience, obviously you were successful enough to make it to another level that a very small percentage of athletes make it to. Um, obviously that also led to, you can call it a failure. You can call it a, you know, a, a, dis, you know, a, a, a slight hiccup in the journey, right? Obviously you don't start something to just finish in the minor leagues. You want to become a major league baseball player, but tell me about how that process um, and that sort of journey through the minor leagues and then the ending of that baseball career Im- impacted you or imparted in you any alterations to your psyche, to your entrepreneurial spirit and sort of like how you felt about yourself. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I think the question that I'll go after is how, like, where did it come from and where did it leave you? The base, baseball came from my dad and I watched him play uh, in the minor leagues and I was infatuated since I was a little kid. Right. And so there's this picture of me like with like bleach blonde, puffy toehead hair. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm just like turning into one perfect form. Hips are good, you know, eyes on the ball. And that was my dream. That was my goal. I've always believed that you build wealth through concentration. I always wanted to be wealthy. 
and because of you know what we've already talked about. You build wealth through um, concentration, protected through diversification. Warren Buffett said that. And so I wanted to go out, be that public figure, be that baseball player under the lights, making millions of dollars. This was the only path. Like this was the only path. I was 14 playing in the 16 year old, you know, which you move back about 15 or 20 feet on the map, like the mound moves back. Mm -hmm. And I moved up to that division and I was even dominating that division at the time. So at 14, I knew that there was, I was a different player and going back to confidence, it gave me that confidence. Well, uh, I started seeking a college scholarship when I would talk to people like, Hey, what's holding me back from playing division one baseball. They're like, dude, you're a buck 45. You're <laughs> You're, I was as a freshman, sophomore in high school, I'm a buck 45, buck 55, somewhere in there at like five foot 10, right? Like I'm not a prospect. I'm not six foot four, right? Long and lanky. They're like, you need to put on 25 pounds. You got to, if you want to throw, if you want to go division one, you've got to throw in the nineties with your, with your, um, the, you know, with your build. And so you've got to put on weight. That's when I fell in love with fitness. I start, I mean, I hit it. I started hitting it hard right around 14 years old, I got a picture. My dad bought me a, a weight, uh, a bench and put it in our basement. And I've got a picture and I'll, I never forget. I've been lifting. I've been using a bench every week since that day, since that week. Right. I put on 25 pounds. I taught myself nutrition. I taught myself. Uh, I would actually oftentimes go to GNC with my own money buy weight gainer because we couldn't afford it as a family. And uh, I would just walk around with like weight gainer shakes all the time trying to put on this weight pasta you know spaghetti was you know my one of my favorite just loaded up and and just crush food lift heavy weights i put on 25 pounds by the time i'm a this was in like 18 months and i also was going through puberty at the same time too so it wasn't like a pure you know eat food lift weight type thing yeah. but it cut my teeth in fitness it made me love it because it made me love the art of fitness and the and the science and, the, and just the marriage of the two things because it gave me an opportunity to go get that division one scholarship, get my fastball into the nineties, the more mass behind the ball you have, the more, the faster the velocity goes. Right. So putting on 25 pounds, put me into the nineties. Now all of a sudden I get this college scholarship that takes me out of my home, which was my goal. Like freedom to me was one of my main goals. That's why I started flipping cars on eBay. As soon as I was, 16 like i wanted i wanted a car like and so i wanted a good car so i one that was reliable i started flip you know took the snow removal business into an ebay business and just uh wanted to go into college being set right and as soon as i entered central michigan entered day one i pull up on the campus i like remember i don't know what entrepreneurship is i just think i'm trying to make some money to go live my dream of playing baseball i don't have a plan b my job is to start a company and so I show up on campus, I set all that stuff aside. I stop flipping cars, I stop trying to make money. I'm on scholarship now, right? I've got this obligation to my team. I pour it in, I get better and better and better and better. And then my third year, uh, I end up going to play in a college summer league and was just lights out um, 19 out of 19 saves. And they plucked me right out of that league and put me into the minor league system. It lasted um, two years and some change there. Uh, and learned some lessons about competition at that level as well. But ended up uh, at the end of the day, I think not being talented enough. And I quit because I could have went back and, you know, signed with another agent, but I, I actually chose to hang them up, right? Like I got fired from my job with the Giants and then I quit because I had a standard for myself. And that was to 
be world-class at whatever it is you do. I, I wasn't going to be the Cy Young award winner. There's just a level of talent that and, and, and body size and hand size that I didn't possess. I made it as far as my work ethic could help me possibly make it. I'm very proud of that. But also, man, it would have been so sweet to just get a little <laughs> drink of tea in the big leagues. Yeah. I mean, listen, that's a level of self-awareness I don't think a lot of people possess. Um, you know, whether it's your upbringing or your experiences through your childhood that led you to be able to make that decision, I think uh, it's commendable. A lot of people hang on for the wrong reasons. You see it all the time. Even well, yeah, the, even the in the minor level. leagues, you have these guys that they go eight, nine years, and they know inside of their heart they're not good enough. But what they're, you know, and we this you can you can in the abstract kind of paste this across society. We're scared of what the future might hold, right? Like if mm -hmm. we actually gave up something that's comforting and secure, we're just we're scared of who we have to become, the gaps that we're gonna have to face in ourselves. We're scared of that self awareness, oh, right? Yeah. And I was. I think just formed in my childhood to be able to dude. if you're not self-aware, then all of this is on you. And that's a miserable life. Yeah. I think you touched upon something super crucial. A lot of times we get through the merry-go-round, right? You hop on high school to college, college to first job, first job to second job, third job, fourth job, fifth job, date the girl, marry the girl, right? You get on the, the merry-go-round and you never stop to ask if you wanted to get on in the first place. And being able to be self-aware to check in with yourself and understand whether you're happy, whether you're fulfilled, whether you're doing the things you want to be doing is crucial to being happy and, I think, successful. You could be the best lawyer in the world. You could be the best you know, accountant in the world. But if that's not the thing that you actually want to be doing, you want to be doing something creative or something in fitness or anything, you're not going to be happy. You're not going to leave a happy existence. I learned that lesson during the pandemic when I got fired from my job. I felt like the world was ending mm -hmm. and it has been the single greatest catalyst to ever happen to me in my entire life. And it's about taking those shitty moments, those really terrible, what am I going to do with myself opportunities in your life to like really self assess and figure out what you want to be doing and how you're going to go about the rest of your life. And it sounds like to me, when you hit that crossroads of uh, it's time to hang up my cleats that you made that decision for yourself that I'm not able to be the best of what I can be in this chosen field and it's on to the next thing. So talk to me about when you hang up those cleats, how that transition goes into fitness and then obviously starting uh, the boot camp and all that you guys have been doing for the last 11, 12 years. Definitely. So I'm, so let me rewind real quick and I'll bring you right up to that point. So I meet Morgan when I'm 12, by the way. So at the oh, same wow. time as I start becoming an entrepreneur at the same time that you know, I have this first altercation, like this first physical altercation with my father. We get in a fight. It's his first child abuse charge. Like around that time right there, Morgan enters the scene. She enters my life. Wow. And literally, literally I fell in love with her right away. Like this, people are going to hear this as, you know, <laughs> my, you know, uh, story becomes, you know, gets out there more. Like I literally, I have proof too. I have an eighth grade letter. I wrote to her friend, Aaron, that says, I'm going to marry this woman uh, wow. two years after meeting her. Uh, and so- you know, she enters the scene and she's that rock, right? Um, going back to, you know, being on being on a, a bridge card, you don't have really extra money to have things like cell phones. And so Morgan's paying for my cell phone uh, as, you know, I'm, I don't know, 16, 17, 18, 19, somewhere in there, all the way through minor league baseball, right? And, wow. and so when I'm done with baseball, obviously I get fired. I'm in that moment. I'm in my hotel room. 
all my dreams basically because you don't know like they don't tell you they lead you they, you know like rightfully so they want to keep the morale of the team high blah 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 you know it's called judgment day and they you know you get that call into the office like this you know what time it is right and they rug pull you and uh, i knew as soon as that happened to me that my obligation was to her right like the first thought that you have is you know this what if i go backwards it's the it's a, what if i go follow in the path of my family right never graduated mm. college not a single person i need to go graduate i didn't graduate I, I i got pulled early i made sure that in my sign in my contract that they paid for my school once i was done with the minor leagues nice but i wanted to go do that that was really important to me and then i wanted to make money and so i went right away and got a sales job because i always knew that salespeople made the most money at direct tv actually uh slang and uh satellite dish uh service to anybody that bought a brand new tv back when plasmas were like three grand and like yeah high rollers with mercedes-benz g-wagon keys were rolling in buying a plasma and i'm up selling them direct tv so you know that that was my my mindset right after i got released was dwell for about three hours in my hotel room till my flight takes off. And what's the alternative here? Going backwards, going back to Battle Creek? No, hell no. Like, I have love for my community, don't get me wrong, but the people around me in my community would not have been good people to be around at that time in my life. Mm -hmm. And so, and so I was miserable. I was making money at DirecTV, but I was miserable. And that's what, you know, I was working 12 hours a day doing something I absolutely hated. But that's when I realized like, oh, this is the internet age, Devin. Like you can literally make money doing anything. So mm -hmm. what do you love? You know, there's a lot of people I give advice to 20 year olds and they're like, hey, you know, go, go explore, you know, 20, 10, 20 different things in your 20s. And I get the impetus behind that. It's like, yeah, you want to get experience. But there's also the other side of the coin, and I think I lean like 60-40 this way, is that you can literally make money doing anything. So what do you already love? You already know there's already a passion that you have. you got shoes on your wall behind you. You might be passionate about shoes. You can literally go make a YouTube video just un, you know, unveiling shoes and talking about shoes and make five grand a month. Pretty – I mean it's not easy, but it's pretty – It's doable. It's doable. I mean there's millions of people doing it, right? And so – I took, I, I was always a, I don't, I don't want to go dabble. I don't want to be a dabbler. I never want to dabble. I realized that if I just picked a vertical that I could wake up every day, I asked myself the question, if I didn't never, if I never got paid for doing a profession and I could do something that was enjoyable to me 80% of the time, what would that be? And fitness helped me get to the big league or to the minor leagues. So I figured, um, you know, I could help people in that regard. And so during my time, uh, with the Chippewas and the Giants, I also stayed with host families. And these host families would watch me training my butt off, eating my butt off, right? And often like refusing Lucky Charms and Fruity Pebbles and like things they would try because they were trying to be nice hosts, right? Mm -hmm. Like, no, no, I've got goals. And like, oh, that's interesting. I've never seen this animal with, that has discipline before, right? <laughs> person that can say no to sugar, like, how dare you, right? And the American problems were not the problems that I grew up with, right? Poverty abuse, a chaotic nature, pretty much everywhere we go. It was just lethargy and lack of energy and maybe some just inherent habitual unhappiness. Mm -hmm. maybe, that, maybe that was it. And so I started making the correlation. We started burn boot camp uh, after Morgan got a promotion um, in, in the Kellogg's company from Naples, Florida to Charlotte. We both moved to Charlotte 
and I started burn boot camp uh, in a parking lot. Nobody would give me a, any a keys to any uh, doors, any lease, because you know I'm a 24 year old kid with no financial history. I wouldn't yeah. do that either. <laughs> you know, that's <laughs> probably probably a pretty risky situation. So we opened five parking lot gyms. Uh, Morgan, in the meantime, after our second one, we get married. She quits Kellogg. She joins me full time. We're now running this business together. We look down. We've got a thousand members at five sublease gyms. We're like we're like 27, 20, late 26, 27. We're like, holy moly, like this is insane. Like our financial lives have already been changed. What do we have here? Like, do you want to stop now? We looked at each other like there's no logical reason to stop now. So we flipped the five um, into brick and mortars because now we had the financial history to do so. We ended up franchising simultaneously flipped three of those gyms that we owned into franchise into a franchise company. And that's how we got our initial seed capital uh, rather than going into some series a or series B or series C, we got our initial seed capital from ourselves, right? We sold three gyms, put all of that money, not just most of it, all of it back into the business in order to become a franchise. And then once we did that in our first 18 months of this business, we, uh, we awarded, which is the equivalent to sold, uh, 200 locations in 18 months, which was, you know, 99% wow. of, uh, all companies at the time. So, and, and we were still are growing at, at a very fast clip. So yeah, I'll stop there, but yeah, Morgan <laughs> wouldn't want, so but basically the punchline is this, when Morgan came on, we exploded. <laughs> yeah. That'll, that'll lead to a happy marriage. I'll, I'll make sure to cut and clip that one for, for social. There we go. <laughs> uh, that is remarkable, Devin. I mean, truly, that is the type of rags to riches story that is, I think, inherently a possibility in America, which is really great. Um, I'm very curious how the pandemic um, sort of reshaped your mindset, reshaped your business, because especially for in-person gyms, it was an extremely difficult time to be an owner and an operator in that field. Um, talk to me about some of those um, instances of doubt of, you know, scared feelings about what the prospect is of, of your business, of your livelihood that you guys have created, you know, over that, you know, two year, two and, you know, ish period of time. Yeah, for sure. So put yourself in this scenario, right? That like, just visualize with me for a moment. You, no one is more surprised than you are in late 2019 at how successful the organization has become like not nobody else. Everyone's like, this is crazy. You're like, I know, <laughs> I know, I cannot believe it. Right. We're in world-class, right. Going back to that world unit economics, which is the creme de la creme of KPIs for franchising world-class, right. Already. We just got started. We don't have any backers yet. We're hundred percent owned by the people that sit around the table that love this brand, right. That started that pour their blood, sweat, and tears into it. We go into 2020 where one of the, um, most valuable companies in boutiques in boutique fitness franchising in the world, even at the time, March, 2023 hits, we make a decision that we have to close all 275 of our gyms. There's footage of me on the floor with like six of my execs in our studio, in our broadcasting studio. And I'm on the floor. Like we got to do it. This is like, cause nobody knows at the time, right? Nobody knows what this thing could be mm -hmm. guys let's just close for two weeks we'll flatten the curve we'll bounce it right back right yeah two years later yeah we're still you know 
50 gyms closed or whatever, whatever the number was at the time. It's arbitrary, but there's a handful of gym closed, gyms closed still almost two years later, um, eight months later, most all of them were still closed. And so you can imagine going from having this untouchable, like everything I'm touching is turning gold. I can't believe how successful you are to like, Oh shoot. Yeah. That was a valid feeling because now it's all gone. Mm -hmm. There's no smoke and mirrors all gone. Like there was no, there was no gyms open. Right. Yeah. And then you get villa, you get vilified as being a hotspot with bars, which were like, y'all, I can understand some <laughs> of it. Right. But like, yeah. The population that's going yeah. to the gym is not the population that's going to the bars. This is a you've got to have a nuanced conversation here. <laughs> yeah. Right? You've yeah. got, there's got to be deeper layers to your validation criteria because I feel like it's not the same. Is it really the same? And so not so much. <laughs> not so much. And yet there's like other things like medical marijuana and marijuana shops and dispensaries that are critical to stay open. And <laughs> I get a sliver, I get a sliver of that and I understand why. We're like gyms okay so we're like dude this might be over okay that lasted maybe two days for morgan and i that's about the longest refractory period we've had on a negative emotion in a long time when you come from pain like i come from pain things just don't get to you that easily mm -hmm. right they just you just have a thicker skin that's where the you know advantage to the adversity comes in right? That's where the power to the poverty comes in. My skin is just thicker than most people's, right? I've got contemporaries that might be 20, 30 years my senior who can't deal with some of the things emotionally that I can deal with. Maybe they've mm -hmm. got experience and an IQ, right? Like I'm not, a, I'm not a dummy, but I'm also not a rocket scientist, right? I'm somewhere in the average range, but EQ is something you can learn and my EQ is super heightened. Why? Because I had to make friends from zero to seven. Right. And I think you, all that stuff kind of in a perfect storm came together and allowed me going back to a comment you made earlier, allowed me to go into the gym and at my house, we call it the lab where we kind of cook all of our exercises. And I worked out by myself, blaring obnoxious rap music and trying to just tune out, trying to stay in the moment, you know, get the, those workouts where you like, you're like, next level, like you're in a tunnel vision, like you're running or whatever. I was totally there and something came over me and said, this is exactly what you needed to separate yourself to undeniably get to the top of this industry and put people over profit, mm. right? Like this industry is deserved for such a long time and nobody, I mean, you can see, I don't need to talk about other companies, but if you, anybody knows the fitness industry right now today, it's the exact opposite. And something com came over me. You want to call it universe. You want to call it a emotion or a tingle or God or whatever, you, whatever you'd like to call it. It was that godly sense of like this. I didn't, I had no free will to think this thought. It just came over me. And that's now, now I'm better. Now it's over. Cause this is the exact thing that we need to get to the level that we know we were going to be at. We didn't know that we needed a pandemic, but going back to your comment, you said you learned how to take your worst day and make it your best day. And I think in that moment was the time when Morgan and I were both tested. The, the question around our brand was, are you recession proof? My answer is like, no, I'll do you no. one better. We're pandemic proof. Yeah. We grew 12.5% during the pandemic 
Um, our next competitor was negative 22%. And it's because we were able to show up for our members. Our members are the most incredible, like super fans of this culture and this organization. They all kept their memberships. I mean, we had a decline, but it was not nearly as significant as other companies out there. And we had members lining up to pay for memberships. We had members lining up for people that lost their jobs, doing baby showers, uh, celebrating birthdays with, you know, they would, they would literally do car parades, right? To celebrate somebody's birthday and drop off a gift. We went live in our broadcast studio. We were filming live workouts to 50,000 people. And we just met everybody where they are. We said, no matter what, we're all going through this crazy stuff. We are not going to leave you behind. You are, you make us. And so our, we fall in love with our members, not our business. We fall in mm. love with our business. We would need doors open to be happy. When we pivoted because we were in love with our members and we cared about them, we were just as happy. It was just the new normal. And so that really gave me even more confidence in the way that I saw myself handle it and Morgan and the rest of our organization handle it against, as I look around, other people and the some of the outcomes and the way that they handled it. So, um, yeah, definitely, definitely uh, dominated yeah. the pandemic. I'll tell you, um, obviously, it's a rare instance, especially in your industry, to have that level of success or any success at all uh, during you know the worst time in in <laughs> in owning gym businesses probably ever. Right? Um, that's remarkable. I think what's even more remarkable is just the pure positivity that I think you exude and that will obviously carry over to your business and, and why that you've been able to be successful and grow at a time when your competitive competition was not. Um, it's, it's a testament to, I think you as a person, it's, it's remarkable to me. I, I have not experienced any level of the trials, the trauma or any of the instances that you had growing up. And it's, I, I have this reoccurring sort of uh, trope where I steal from these conversations every time I have them, because to me, when you get an opportunity to have a discussion with a person you never met before, learn about their life, learn about how they overcome obstacles, it's a huge inspiration to me. And to be able to just have you tell me all of the shit that you dealt with from a young age and how you were able to manipulate that into the necessary fuel to be the success that you are today, it just goes out to show you that like, even in those reset moments of your life, the ability to be successful is still out there. And I commend you for that. And I commend Morgan for that as well. I mean, it's just a testament to who you guys are. It's, it's fucking amazing. It really is. Thank you, John. I really yeah. appreciate that. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely uh, intentional and and uh, yeah, you know, it's, heard... it's just it's just impressive. I mean, I mean, to be honest with you, it's like you go into conversations with people and you expect to hear, you know, I work my ass off and I get up early and I, you know, I I put the right pieces in place, but to be able to take all the negativity that you've experienced throughout the you know formative years of your life and then uh, you know failure or you know retirement, whatever you want to call it, and then be able to take another step forward. And then you look at the pandemic and how that could just be an absolute death blow to the industry that you're in and be able to take that and have it be an additional fuel to grow and to be just an incredible business person. It's just, it's an impressive feat and uh, something that I am wildly inspired by. I think it's not the norm and that level of attitude and, and mental clarity is, is something to be obviously inspired by. Well, I appreciate you saying that. And I think, uh, you know, it really stemmed from me, stemmed from me being lost, right? If, you know, if you can probably conclude from my story that I didn't have a lot of positive 
role models in my life growing up, especially from a male side of the house. My uncles kind of followed suit with my father. And so I was in that. I so desperately sought after wisdom, you know, and for me, the first time that I heard uh, Tony Robbins talk about adversity is your vantage, pain versus pleasure, that really gave me the words and the language that I needed to put it into perspective. And I was gullible because I was unconditioned at the time. And the, one of the first things I ever heard, and I think it was his personal power tape back way back in the day, dude, like as a kid, the nineties. Yeah. 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 Was, um, was that, well, two things. One, when you have no resources, get resourceful. That was number one. I always, I, I carry that with me every day. Cause that just basically saying there's no excuses. You can always figure it out. There's always a way to get it done. But then also how he talks about pain versus versus pleasure and just people like me have a built-in fabric of pain, right? And the way that you're describing, you know, yourself, a, there's so many pros to that, right? But there's also a con to that is you have an experience. You didn't have that naturally built-in pain. You didn't, you weren't forced to dra be drugged through the mud. And so for you, you've got to drag yourself through the mud in some way. You've got to manufacture mm -hmm. this pain because that's the motivation, right? Between how we do things and why we, why we do things and why we don't do things. We do things because we're getting away from pain toward pleasure, right? We don't do things because we're getting away from pain toward pleasure. And so when you've experienced that pain and it's super real, now you've got something to look back at, right? And say, oh shit, I'm not, I'm not running from that thing. Right. And then most people just leave it at, oh, you got something you're running to. Okay. That should be sufficiently motivational. It's not. Mm -hmm. Got to have both. Yeah. But yeah. The last thing that I'll say on that is pain. It, 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 when I say the word manufacture, you, the pain that I feel can be the same pain that you can manufacture. It's just how real is it to you? You know, get, getting let go from your job or something like that might translate into your head of like, I'm never going to let somebody get rid of me again. That's never mm -hmm. going to happen, right? Like yeah. I'm going to have so much value to this world. I'm going to be so good that they can't ignore me. And I'm going to go out here and I'm going to crush this. And not that it's a revenge mindset. You're not trying to prove somebody wrong who let you go, but you're trying to prove the people right who believed in you all along. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I took that. Yeah. I mean, I took that lesson to heart. I, when I was told you're gone, this is, it's a you thing, right? You, you have, you have two decisions. It's either, hamster wheel i gotta go back to it or i was like nah fuck this i'm my own boss from here on out i'm doing what i want with my life and there's nobody who's gonna be able to say you're fired ever again right like this is my journey now and i'm the one who's in charge i'm i'm the captain now right i think you also said something that's super important the the repeatedly so for the last three years i've been building this podcast i've been building my photography business and i have been exceeding my expectations wildly um, in the last week, I've shot a Victoria's Secret fashion show. I shot a huge, yeah, huge inspiration oh. for me. This the uh, a group of guys, but Bob Moses, who's a, a DJ, um, you know, and amazing artists that I shot this weekend at a at a music festival. And these are things that I would have dreamt about three years ago. They were like my highlight reel possibilities in this career that I'm building for myself. And if I had the pleasure outcome of, well, this is the pinnacle, this is where I'm going to be, I would just stop right now and be like, okay, I did it. I'm done. Now what do I do? But this is just like step two, 
right? You have to like think of it in that mentality, like you mentioned, because there's so much more shit that I want to do. There's so much more growth that I can do. There's so many more opportunities that I want to chase down. And if your mindset isn't that this is just another step up the ladder, you're going to be complacent. You're going to stop and you're not going to keep driving. And I think just over time, like, you know, I think age plays a big part in it as well. Like I am supremely comfortable in my own skin. That happened a lot later in my thirties because I just know who I am. And I think when you have the mindset of this is the, like what I'm doing and this is my path and I'm leading it in the right way and what I want to be doing, the successes will inevitably follow. Yeah. I mean, listen, that's the mentality that I hope everyone picks up from this. That's right. Success breeds ambition and just get a little momentum. You get a little momentum that's going to make you hungry for more. And it's this virtuous cycle could also be a vicious cycle, <laughs> but it's yeah. a virtuous cycle. If you believe in yourself, execute against the belief, reinforce the belief that you had in yourself and repeat. Right. And unfortunately, and what you and I aspire to do is to help other people make it a virtuous cycle and not a vicious cycle where they don't yeah. believe in themselves. They don't execute. And then they say, Hey, told you it wasn't going to work. Right. Yeah. I think what's beautiful is that you're taking people who maybe not believe in themselves in a physical way or even a mental way and, and able to enact real change in both their physical and mental outbeings and their confidence and their ability to live a healthy mentally and physical life. And in some ways, my reasoning for this podcast is just to tell people that you can do whatever the fuck you want to do with your life as long as you put in the work. And I think there's a lot of what you've done in your life that sort of matches up with that same ethos, that there are no limitations to what we're able to accomplish as long as you're willing to put in the work. Try and fail and try and fail, and inevitably you're going to succeed. Well, even as an entrepreneur and as a businessman, I still like recommend to people in this space, work out every day. Work out every day because that's the hard shit that nobody wants to do. And if you do that, you're a step ahead of someone every day. You have an anchor for your day. You can control it no matter what happens in your life. You can, you can wake up and work out. It's going to create discipline and you're going to start building confidence by keeping the promises that you make to yourself. And that's ultimately what we're doing, right? This is fitness for me is like the, is like the, um, it's like the bonfire that we're all sitting around, right? It's not, it's not the goal. It is the, the goal is to have a gathering place where people come and then can learn confidence, right? If you go back to my story, fitness taught me confidence because it allowed me to gain 25 pounds. It allowed me to get to the next level it was the catalyst for my entire life and where I'm at today. And it can, and, and now, you know, most people like think about fitness as like do some pushups and that's annoying and I don't want to do that. And it's painful, but I'll do it anyway. Cause my doctor tells me I have to, it's like, no, like this is the tool that you can control. Even when it's raining outside, you can control this tool Right? You can do it. It's free. Just go run. You don't have to pay a gym. You can just go run. Right? You can do push-ups. Those are free. You know how to do this. YouTube has like millions of workouts. Right? This is the thing that creates confidence. Our business has grown so big so fast is because we're not a fitness company. We're a marketing company whose product is confidence. And there's mm -hmm. a fundamental difference between that mindset and then selling memberships and selling fitness Right? Because then it stops at fitness. The reason our culture and community has raving fans is because that's just, that's just the invitation. Yeah. It's just the invitation. And then once mm -hmm. you get around that bonfire and you get around that camp and the energy and the trainers and the community, it's like, man, these people are having a very sophisticated conversation around this bonfire. Ooh, maybe, maybe, maybe I want to be a part of this sophisticated conversation because 
I'm learning something about myself every time I come to the gym, every time I get a chance to meet with these people, I'm becoming more confident. So confidence is a skill. So if you've ever, the wrong advice podcast, <laughs> it's like, don't ever let anybody tell you that confidence isn't a skill, that you can't get more confident, that you can't manufacture more confidence, that confidence is something that is a catalyst to your life and can propel you to heights that you never that you never thought of because who the hell is going to believe in you if you don't believe in yourself? Absolutely nobody. And I think you touched on something that's very important. The businesses that are going to be successful post pandemic are the ones that foster and build community. And it's no wonder that you're successful in doing this. You're a fucking light, man. I mean, I'm inspired by you. I may even go to the gym today. That's probably a lie. I'm about to run through a wall, man. I mean, truly, I am wicked inspired by this conversation. And and I, I've got like that that cliche thing. I, I steal like an artist, right? Like and, and from this conversation, I'm stealing inspiration to go be, you know, go do movement today. <clears throat> go out and feel better about myself if I'm feeling shitty and I'm feeling lethargic. You make me want to go run through a fucking wall. And I think that's a testament to you. Um yeah, I'm 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 so wildly appreciative that you took the time out of your day to come on the podcast and talk about life with me. I've got a really cliche line. If you've been on my podcast, you're part of my family. Uh so welcome. And uh yeah, man, thanks so much for coming on. It's been a it's been a real pleasure. Thanks, John. And I'll throw the uh light in the world ball right back in your court. Thanks for doing what you're doing, inspiring people. We need, uh, we need more and more and more entrepreneurial media to really shine the positive light and the, and the world-changing light on this industry that often, and this, this profession that often gets a, uh, a bad rap. But you've never seen a Disney movie where the CEO <laughs> is the hero. So yeah, right. I appreciate you uh, being the champion of us entrepreneurs out there because I think the soul of every entrepreneur is a pure soul. Um, maybe sometimes we get the wrong path, but the pure intent is to help change the world, make the world a, a better place. And, uh, you're helping people stay in the path. So thank you as well. Oh, my pleasure, man. It's uh, it's been a real treat and you have a great rest of your day. All right. <laughs>